What's the world coming to? No drum roll. My word. Now, we're reading today Paul's letter to the Colossians, who were, of course, in Colossae. And reading from the NIV Bible, Colossians 1, verses 15 to 23. <clears throat> it does puzzle me a little bit, this reading, because Paul never names Jesus as such. He refers to him as the Son, or him, um, and a few other things, but never actually uh, refers to him except once in, as Christ. So it's quite, interesting, quite an interesting reading. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of the Lord. Cunning that Lyle, isn't he? He's cunning. <laughs> uh, good morning. It's very jolly in the in at church this morning. I don't know if it's the it's the the, the band. Uh, they were rocking before. I thought uh, maybe it's the the drum rolls and all and, and all that that's got us in a good mood. It's it's great though. It's good to be able to. It's fitting. It's this series we're doing, enjoying God. That together uh, there is uh, joy and rejoicing uh, in the room. And uh, we are looking at, as we've just heard, we're looking at a wonderful part of the scriptures today. Um, last, last week, if you remember, we heard uh, the Father's voice from heaven. This is my son uh, with whom I'm well pleased. Uh, Colossians 1, in some ways, unpacks that, doesn't it? This, this is why 
the Father is so pleased with his Son, which, as, as you rightly notice, is how Jesus is referred to in this passage. Let's pray, and then we'll uh, in, enjoy this part of God's word uh, together. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would be with us now. Fill us with your spirit. Uh, we pray that we might hear your voice as we, as we uh, read and reflect on the scriptures together. We thank you uh, for our brother and your servant Paul who wrote these words down so long ago for us, uh, but which point us to truths which are no less true today than they were uh, when he wrote them. And we pray today that we would delight in who Jesus is uh, because of what you revealed to us about him. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one of my favourite moments, um, in fact, I think one of the most beautiful moments in uh, the Gospel accounts, uh, and in fact in Jesus' uh, life, happens right up front. Uh, happens right at the start. Uh, Jesus is only very young, I think about, about a month old at the time, uh, and under, under the Jewish law, uh, male sons were brought to the temple for their purification rites. Uh, and, and Luke records this in his gospel. Um, but what would happen is parents would go to the temple and they'd offer a sacrifice to God and they'd present the child to the Lord. Uh, and in Luke, we see Mary and Joseph bringing uh, their, their newborn Jesus um, to the temple to do this. And what I love about this moment is the response of two of the people who were at the temple that day when they do that. Um, there's a, first up, there's a man named Simeon. Uh, we, we get the sense he's an he's a older gentleman. Uh, he's, he's, he's on in years. And he's been told by God that he's actually not going to die until he sees God's promised Messiah. And when Joseph and Mary and Jesus uh, enter the temple, uh, God reveals to him who this child is. And Simeon gets very, very excited. Um, as Look, this is not a critique, but as, as you, you might notice at church sometimes when somebody brings a baby in, um, he just feels it okay to, to take the baby from its parents and enjoy, enjoy the baby for himself. And, and he, he lifts him up, I imagine Lion King style, sort of above his head. And, and he, he praises God and he declares, now he can die. For his eyes have seen the Lord's salvation. It's a wonderful moment, isn't it? Wonderful moment. Um, but that's not the end of it. Uh, because there's another person uh, in the temple that day, a lady named Anna. And she's even further along in years than Simeon, 84, we're told. Uh, she's a widow and she's a prophetess. And she spends her days at the temple fasting and praying. But when she sees Simeon with Jesus and sort of catches wind of what's going on here, she seems to get even more excited than Simeon. And she rushes over and she starts praising and thanking God as well, telling everybody who would listen about him. It's, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. I just love uh, this moment. Uh, and today, now, as we go into this second installment of this series, Enjoying God, and we think about enjoying God the Son, uh, my hope for us, my goal for us, is that we would have a similar moment to Simeon and Anna that day. That we would see who Jesus truly is. Who the Son really is. And understand not just theoretically these truths, but be swept up like they were to rejoice 
and delight in him. And, and we, to help us do that, we're going to reflect on this passage from Colossians chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul speaks about God's Son and puts before him, puts before us him in all his wonder and majesty. So do please have uh, Colossians chapter 1 uh, in front of you. Uh, and let's take a look at what Paul's got to say. Now, in the first half of the passage which we, which we read, Paul speaks about Jesus' place within the creation. Uh, his majesty, his supremacy within this world, this universe, which God has made. Read it again with me from verse 15. Look what he says. Um, the Son, um, or I noticed in some uh, NIV versions, it just says he, um, referring back to the Son in the verse before, but the Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Just sit with that for a moment. That's a breathtaking description, isn't it? Breathtaking. And it's not just a random collection of great things about Jesus that Paul's writing here. No, he's deliberately put these things together to help us understand Jesus' supremacy, the Son's majesty within the creation. Um, verse 15 is really the key verse. It summarizes uh, the big things he's saying in, in these opening verses. And, and there's two ideas there, isn't there? Um, first up, he, he speaks of the Son as the image of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God. Um, yeah, this, this idea of, of the image of God, of course, is, is a theme that runs all the way through the Bible, isn't it? Um, you go all the way back to the very first chapter of the Bible, uh, chapter 1, when, when God creates the world and this idea of image uh, is there. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 God says, let us make human beings in our image, according to our likeness. See, we, people, humanity, have been made in God's image. And, and, and the idea is that as image bearers of God, people reflect God's glory in the world he's made. That's, that's what it's talking about. Um, but notice there's, there's, there's a bit of a difference. Like Jesus is described as bearing God's image, isn't he? But there's a slight difference between Jesus and, and the rest of humanity because he isn't just made in God's image. He doesn't bear God's image. No, look how it's phrased again. He is God's image. He is the image of the invisible God. He bears God's image in fullness. And the reason is is because he is God himself. Jesus is the, the Son is the incarnate God, the one who truly reflects God's glory perfectly. When you see Jesus, you see God. When Jesus walked around on this earth, we were dealing with God himself. When Simeon and Anna picked up that little baby, they were, and this sounds so strange, they were holding God in their hands in a sense. Isn't that incredible? The image of the invisible God. Uh, but we're told more than that. The second thing verse 15 alerts us to is his place within the creation. It, we're, we're told he is the firstborn. 
the firstborn over the creation. Now, this idea is a little bit controversial, actually. Um, some people, if you've ever had a Jehovah's Witness perhaps knock on your door, I don't know how active they are up on the mountain, but I've certainly had some uh, down on the Gold Coast. Um, they will tell you, if you talk to them about this verse, they will tell you that what's being talked about here is that Jesus is the first uh, thing that God made. He, that's, that's what it means by firstborn. He's the first creature of God's creation. Um, that idea didn't start with the JWs, though. I mean, it actually goes all the way back uh, to the 4th century, a guy named Arius or Arius. I mean, he, he, listen to what he said. Um, it's a bit confusing, um, the, the language here, but just try and hear what he's saying. He said, if the father begat, so I guess birthed would be another way of saying that, bore, if the father begat the son, he that was begotten had a beginning of existence. And from this, it is evident that there was a time when the son was not. Wow. He's saying that there was a time when there was no son, there was just the father. Now, we saw last week that's not true. Um, the Father and the Son have been in this eternal relationship of love before, uh, through all eternity. Um, what the JWs and what Arius has done here is they've actually misunderstood what the Bible means when it's talking about firstborn. Uh, in the Bible, firstborn is not about chronology so much. It's about somebody's place. It's about their position. It's about their authority and their supremacy. Uh, you, you think about the, the, the place of the firstborn son in a family. They, they were, the, they were the, the, the head child. They received the greatest share of the inheritance. They had a particular place. The firstborn son of a king. They were heir to the throne. They had a particular place. And it's the same here with Jesus. It's not that God made him. No, no, that's, that's totally wrong. But within this world which God has made, Jesus sits supreme. He is the firstborn one. That's confirmed, isn't it, in, in the way the phrase is um, actually said, the firstborn over all the creation. I mean, if you read on into verse 16, we see why Jesus has this place. Why is Jesus the firstborn of the creation? Well, look how it goes on in verse 16. For, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now, there's, there's three little words that are really important in what's being said here. Notice the words, by through and for. All things were made by the Son, through the Son, for the Son. Why is Jesus the firstborn over all creation? Well, because of that. See, friends, every drop in the sea, by, through, and for Jesus. Every hair on your head, some of us have more of those than others. By, through, or for Jesus. Every grain of sand in the desert, by, through, for, and for Jesus. Every star in the sky, every ray of light from the sun, every cell in your body, every neutron, every electron, every proton, you name it, it was created by, through, and for the sun. 
And please notice, it's not just the physical world, but the spiritual world too, isn't it? Every throne, every ruler, every spiritual authority, Paul says, by, through, and for the Son. That's why he's the firstborn. Um, I was, you know, when I, when I think about this, I always end up thinking about um, outer space. Does anybody else love space? I don't really know much about science, but there's something about, I don't know, just, just space that gets me. I've got a couple of wonderful images. You'll know the, the Earthrise photo uh, taken on Apollo 10, um, the, the rocket that went up um, before Apollo 11 went and landed on the moon. They sent one that did a few loops of the moon and came back, but they took this photo. It's kind of the first time humans had seen just the Earth. Amazing. And actually, as they, 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 um, I think they, they showed it on TV, and the astronauts read from Genesis 1 as they, as they did that uh, back in 68. Um, this photo is great. This one came out about 10 years ago. I'll get the next one up. Uh, where's that? It's, it's, you know what that's showing? That's everything we can see in our galaxy put into one shot. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? You can kind of see the sun right in the middle there and then the planets around it. But then look at the scope of the rest of the galaxy. That's just what we know of it. Um, I, I, I just get thinking about that. I really love, you know, it's, it's much smaller than this one, but I really love the moon. The moon's just, I, sometimes I just find myself just outside just looking at the moon, especially when you can see the moon during the daytime. I just stand, oh, wow. It's it's just a big white rock in many ways, isn't it? But it's, so, it's, it's beautifully desolate. I, I, I just love staring at it. And as I think about it, I start to think about how incredible it was that we worked out how to send humans there. <laughs> how amazing is that? Some, the, the, the ingenuity that, that went into working out how to get from here to up there. The physics that went into that, the maths calculations that were required, the, the technology that had to be developed, the skill and the courage of people to be willing to do that. It's amazing. Here's the thing. Jesus, God's son, created the moon. Jesus, God's son, created the humans who worked out how to get there. And not only did he create these things, these things were created for him. They're his. Um, last week I promised to give you some homework every week. How'd you go with No, I won't ask how you went with the homework last week. Um, here's the volu completely voluntary homework, uh, part one of the homework for this week, all right? Um, I think this one's fun. Take 10 minutes to enjoy something that Jesus has made. Just to, to sit and marvel at it. Um, I don't know what you, maybe you want to go and stare at the moon. That, that might be something to do. You might want to find a quiet spot. There's lots of spots up here on the mountain to go and enjoy God's creation, isn't there? Uh, you might want to watch a David Attenborough documentary on Netflix. You could do that. Uh, maybe a bushwalk or... You could just go down to, to go down to the Gold Coast and sit in Pacific Fair and watch just the diversity of people walk by. Uh, maybe you go visit an art gallery and marvel at kind of the, the creativity of, of, of the people Jesus has made. doesn't matter what it is, but just take some time with no agenda but to sit in awe 
of the creation. But the critical part is you don't just stop at the creation. Let it allow you to sit in awe of the creator. The awe, in awe of the one who is over the creation, the one by, through and for it was all made. That'd be a, that'd be a good use of 10 minutes, wouldn't it, this week? Uh, maybe you might want to spend longer. Be amazed by him. Be in awe of him. Rejoice in him. Enjoy him. Enjoy his power. Enjoy his majesty. Enjoy his creativity. But for now, let's stick to Colossians 1 because these first few verses, they're just the warm-up, actually. They're just like Jimmy Barnes at the NRL Grand Final. Uh, The second half of this passage is where the real action is. Uh, Because in the second half of this passage, we move from Jesus' place in the creation uh, to his place in salvation. Uh, Come with me from verse 18. Look, Look how Paul continues. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So in everything he might have the supremacy. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And just notice the parallels here between what Paul said about Jesus in creation to what he says in these verses about Jesus' place in salvation. There's a whole bunch of parallels in the language Paul uses, and I think they're deliberate. He wants us to reflect on those two things and see how what Jesus does in the salvation of the world actually is more wonderful than what he's done in creating world. So so firstly, just notice how both of these two sections begin. So in verse 15, they both begin with the phrase, he is. Um, Some some of our translations obscure that a bit. It says, the son is, but the the Greek is just, he is. And it starts with, he is, and then it describes something great about Jesus. So verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. But then this section begins, verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. So there's there's that parallel. Um, Second, notice how in both sections he's given the title of firstborn, isn't he? Verse 15, he's firstborn over all creation. And verse 18, he's the firstborn from the dead, uh, which sounds a bit strange. You know, is it some kind of zombie apocalypse movie it's talking about there? Of course, it's it's not that. It's It's talking about the dead who will be raised on the final day, the resurrection dead. Jesus is the head of the resurrection. He's the ruler of this creation. He's the head of the new creation. That's what it's saying there. Um, The third parallel between the two is is the word for. So when this description of Jesus as the firstborn is made, it's then followed with for, explaining why. So in verse 16, we saw that. Firstborn of the creation, for all things were made. But then look in verse 19. Why is he the firstborn from the dead? Verse 19, for. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see the parallels here. Jesus in the creation, Jesus in salvation. 
Jesus is the head of the creation. Why? Because he made it. He's head of the new creation. He's because he saved it. Through his blood shed on the cross, Jesus makes peace between us and God and so reconciles, notice the word, all things, again, another parallel, all things back to God. It's so important we don't miss how wonderful and extraordinary this is. So important. I, I, I was, it's almost absurd, actually, when you think about what Jesus does in salvation. I was trying to think of an analogy. I couldn't come up with a good one. The best I could come up with was um, uh, my mate, Jonty. Um, actually, he's one of my colleagues on campus. Uh, you'll meet him when uh, where the students are up here in a few weeks. Uh, Jonty loves, like, push bikes. He loves bikes, um, cycling, that kind of thing. I, I quite enjoy it, too. Um, you sometimes see me wearing lycra, as uh, many men my age uh, often get into. Um, but Jonty doesn't just like riding bikes, he likes building them. He gets online and he finds all the best parts you can get, and he'll buy like a, just a, a, a basic frame of a bike, and then he'll build it up, he'll get you know, top-of-the-range wheels and brakes and gears and all that sort of stuff. He'll spend heaps of money on it hours working on it. It's actually really great. I was thinking about, about what Jesus does in salvation and, and I said, well, it's kind of like if John T. had built you know, this state-of-the-art bike, built this great bike, and, and I said to him, oh, can I, can I borrow it for a day, John T.? He said, oh, sure, of course you can, Tim. Of course you can. And uh, so I took it out for a ride and, you know, I was a bit, a bit rough on it. Actually, you know, Crashed it and put a few scratches on it. And that, that was okay. It was still going. And I thought, oh, you know, I'll, I'll take it. I've got to go to the shops. So I took it down to the shops and, you know, parked it there. I chained it up. It was a pretty nice-looking bike, you know, pretty expensive things. Just chained it up there. Did a few hours of shopping, came back. Oh, there's just the frame left. Some, somebody's stolen the wheels and the gears and the... Oh. And so I get the bike and I, I take it back to Jonty and I say, oh, look, I'm really sorry. Um, there's scratches all over. It's missing all the expensive parts. And he says, oh, he doesn't make me pay for it. He says, oh, that's, that's okay. Goes out into his workshop, starts polishing up the, uh, the bike again. Gets online. He actually, he actually tracks down the same parts because the guys who had stolen it had sold it, sold it on eBay already. So he buys back the parts Spends hours putting it back together and then says, Tim, did you want to have another, another ride on it? Now, it's not a perfect analogy, but it's kind of what Jesus does, isn't it? Jonty made that bike and he made it to enjoy for him. I messed it up. I broke it. I let it get stolen. <laughs> and I gave it back to him and it was a right mess. And at great cost to himself, he put it back together. And that's what Jesus does, doesn't he? This world was made by him for him. And he gives it to us to enjoy. And what do we do with it? Well, we make a mess of it. <laughs> now, we don't just, you know, crash it and get it stolen. You know, we, we actually get angry at Jesus, right? We reject him. We may as well go throw the bike in the lake. 
But even though this world was made by him and for him, and even though we reject him, at great cost to himself, Jesus puts it back together, doesn't he? Puts it back together. As he willingly allows those he made, but who rejected him, to nail him to a wooden cross. (laughs) I think he made that wood as well. And he hangs there on that cross and he dies for our sin, that we might have peace with God. Isn't that amazing? You think creating the moon's good? Uh, This is something else. And if you read there, the final few verses, they, they just land this personally. It's all been pretty big picture so far. But look at what he says in verse 21. This describes all of us. Verse 21, once you were alienated from God, and we're enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. We'd all rejected God. We'd all sinned against him. But verse 22, but now he has reconciled you, brought peace, brought us back together by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. It's an extraordinary picture Paul paints for us of the Son, isn't it? A picture of both his majesty within the creation, but a majesty used for our salvation. Let me give you part two of your homework for this week. (laughs) So part one is to just, just enjoy the world God's made, the world the Son has made been made for him. Part two, well, I, I want you to spend, I want us to spend 10 minutes giving thanks to the Son for what he's done for us in salvation. There's lots of ways you might do that, but I, I wonder if the best way is actually the, the age-old Christian discipline of confession. Now, I don't know if that's a regular part of your Christian diet, but Actually reflecting on kind of what Paul talks about there in verse 21, the the way we've been enemies in our minds because of our evil behaviour towards God. To reflect on that and to to own that before God, to confess it before him. And to give thanks to him that in Jesus, as it says there, we are now made holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. To give thanks for that. To rejoice in that. And now I don't know how you... There's different ways that you might go about doing that. You might just want to find a quiet space and pray. You might want to do it as you're staring out at some beautiful thing that Jesus has made. You might want to write down some of the ways you've turned away from him. You might want to physically kneel before God. You might want to use some of the prayers of confession in the Bible, some of the Psalms, uh, to help you with that. You might want to look up one of the great prayers of confession from church history, the prayers of the Puritans or maybe uh, something in the Book of Common Prayer, something like that. Whatever you do, the goal is to confess our wrongdoing before our maker, but having confessed it, to delight 
and his goodness to us in Jesus. To give thanks to him that because of Jesus, though we don't deserve it, we have peace with God. Isn't that good? That's something to delight in, something to rejoice in. When Simeon and Anna went to the temple that day and spotted Jesus, their hearts leapt with joy. And the reason it did, they did was because they saw something of who God's son truly was. And we've seen something of that this morning, haven't we? The son who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over creation, the one who by, through, and for all things were made. But the same son who is the firstborn of the new creation because he entered into this earth to save it. And by his blood spilt that day on the cross, he offers us forgiveness and peace with God and holiness before him. Let's enjoy that. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your precious son, Jesus. We understand why you delight in him. Father, help us to delight in him as you do. Thank you that it is by him and for him that each of us was made. Thank you that it was through his blood spilt on the cross that we have been restored back into relationship with you, that we are no longer your enemies but friends. Father, we confess that we don't deserve that, but we are so thankful, so grateful that because of Jesus, that's what you've done. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.